Well, the very first thing that we learn about God in the book of Genesis is that when God creates something, God says, it's good. Think about the way that Genesis talks about the first six days of creation and what God says in response. The lights in the heavens, good, God says. Planets and stars, good. Waters above and waters below, it's good. Plants and animals, good. Human beings, good. But then, about halfway through the second chapter of Genesis, the author takes a very clear shift in tone. Because all of a sudden, in chapter 2, verse 18... God says that something is not good. And what is it? In that verse, God says it is not good for humans to be alone. And so God created community. Instituted relationships between human beings so that they could connect with one another. Because God said it is not good for us to be alone. Let me put it to you in another way. When you choose to live a life that is separated from other people, that's not good. If you choose to live in isolation from family and friends, that's not good. When you live a life that is separated from the possibility of kinship and community and fellowship... That is not good. There's no more blunt way for me to say it than the way Genesis puts it. It is not good. But when you choose to live a life in full and rich relationships with one another, that's good. When you choose to live in community with one another, that's good. And when you choose to be in a small group, of a faith community here at the church where you can grow in your faith and support one another, that is really good. Just take a look at the scripture lesson for this morning. It's just two verses. Right there in the midst of this grand, massive book called Hebrews. But in those two verses alone, we get a pretty good pitch as to why you should be in a small group. It's a very clear proposal It's a call to meet together for you and I to improve the lives of one another by gathering together in each other's physical presence for mutual support and love and encouragement and understanding. In other words, it sounds an awful lot like a small group here at the church. It's what we hope gets accomplished whenever groups of people in this church gather together for support and love and encouragement in the context of Christian community. On the surface, these two verses alone are a pretty good pitch for why we should be in small groups. But wait, there's more. Just for a moment, I'd like for us to leave the quick and easy interpretation of these two verses And zoom out the camera a little bit. Get a wide-angle view of what the author of Hebrews is really trying to tell us. To take a high-altitude picture of exactly why small groups are important. Not just in verses 24 and 25, but in the whole of chapter 10. In fact, all of Hebrews. 
What is the author of Hebrews really telling us as to why we should be in a small group here at the church? Now, I'm particularly interested in this because I've given pitches for people to be part of small groups for just about every year of my ministry. And I've used every strategy I could think of, every tool in my disposal as to why people like us should give up a part of their week for an hour or an hour and a half to be in a small group over and against all the other pressures on our schedule that we have. What in the world could the author of Hebrews say that preachers like me haven't said year after year after year? After all, if we were the author of Hebrews trying to get you to be part of a small group, we would use a psychological strategy. You need to be part of a small group so that you can make friends and feel connected. Or use an emotional strategy. If you're feeling lonely, then come be part of a connection of people. Or we might even use a moral strategy. Be in a small group because it's the right thing to do. Way to grow in your faith and to become a better Christian. But what's interesting is that the author of Hebrews uses a strategy that is so unique and so deep and utterly powerful. In fact, the strategy he uses is a theological one. A theological one. Because he dares to say that your participation in a small group can actually be interpreted in light of the character and work of God in the world. In other words, little old you being part of a little old small group here at the church can actually make you a participant in what God is trying to do to change the world. Now, that's a powerful motivation. And how in the world does the author of Hebrews make that case? By doing an amazing comparison between your participation in a small group and what Jesus did in the temple. Now, you all know the temple, I think. The temple was that grand structure, not just a building. It was a symbolic metaphor of God residing, living amongst the people. It was the epicenter of economic and political might for the Israelite people. It was the place to go and the place to be if you wanted to experience God's presence. But the author of Hebrews wants to twist that a little bit and remind us that fundamentally the temple was also a place to be reminded of how separated we really are. Of all of the walls and divisions that separate us not only from each other but from God. Just take a look at the architecture of the temple itself. On the outermost part of the temple was a place called the outer court. It's called the court of the Gentiles which was a place where everyone could be, including the foreigners, including the strangers, including the visitors. But that was it. That was as close as they could get to the temple. Because dividing the outer court was a wall that separated it from the inner court, which was only where the Israelites could go. The Israelites could go in there and experience another reminder of just how separated they were not just from the outside world, but from God. Because it was there in the inner court that a priest would be waiting for them to receive their offerings, their livestock, their produce, and burn an offering of sacrifice on the altar 
as a way of reconciling their relationship to God. But that wasn't all. In the innermost sanctum of the temple was the holy place where only the priests could go. And it was there that the priests could offer their daily sacrifices to God to redeem all of the people and reconcile them to God. And then, even in that, was the Holy of Holies, the most privileged place of all, where the Ark of the Covenant stood and where God sat and where only one time a year the most privileged priest of all, called the high priest, would go in and offer an offering for the entire year to cover all of the sins of all of the people. You kind of get this picture. You don't have to actually see the temple to see that the temple was actually a series of concentric circles with each circle becoming more and more exclusive, more and more exclusionary for more and more privileged people. On the outside were the foreigners, then the Israelites, then the priests, and then the most specially chosen of all as a reminder that all of us are not only separated from each other, but all of us are separated from God. It's the fundamental premise of the whole temple. And then the author of Hebrews says this. When Jesus came along, that changed everything. With some of the most vivid Christological imagery in the entire New Testament, the author of Hebrews says that when Jesus entered the picture, when he died on that cross, when he triumphed over death in the empty tomb, the curtain, the veil was rent in two. The wall was destroyed. All that separated us from each other and us from God was utterly vanquished. And it changed everything. That's what the author of Hebrews talks about for the first 23 verses of Hebrews 10. And then we get to verse 24 that Chris read for us. And it's in verses 24 and 25 that Hebrews talks about us being in a small group community. Do you want to know then the comparison that Hebrews is making between our small group experience and the temple? He is saying that to be in a small group means that you can be part of God's total redemption of this entire broken world. Hebrews makes his pitch to you as why you should be in a small group, not just because you might make a new friend, not just because it might help you keep from being lonely, not just because it means you can participate in a group in this church, but you should do it because being part of a small group means doing your part in God's cosmic plan to bring this whole broken world together. How's that for motivation to be in a small group? John Wesley realized this. That's why in the early days of colonial and frontier Methodism, he required people to be part of a small group. He knew that if Methodism was going to grow, he, he couldn't just depend on Sunday morning worship services. 
He couldn't just depend on big events like camp meeting revivals or large group gatherings like this that he called societies. People weren't going to grow in their faith and the movement was going to grow if people just went to the big events. And that's why he required every single follower of Jesus in the Methodist movement to be part of a small group of 10 to 12 people called a class. Met once a week. They would gather together, they would look each other in the eye, and they would simply answer the question, how is it with my soul? And they would support each other in mutual love and understanding and encouragement, and they would meet week after week after week. And, and that was a requirement for every Methodist under John Wesley. And then he said, if you want to go even deeper... You have another option. This isn't required, but if you wanted to go even deeper, you could even be part of a smaller, small group called a band of three to five people, and you would meet every week, and you would really open yourself up in vulnerability and honesty and authenticity with one another. It would be there that you would ask the tough questions of each other and see how things were really going with the temptations and sins in your life. All in a spirit of love, not judgmentalism, as a way of supporting and encouraging one another. John Wesley knew that if people chose to live in isolation from one another, it is not good. But when we come together in small groups... We can actually participate in the cosmic work that Jesus instituted in the temple to bring this whole broken world together, one relationship at a time. And so I know of no better way to say it than this. When you choose to be in a small group with other people, when you choose to participate in Christ's reconciliation in this world, God says it very clearly. It's good. It's good. So make no mistake, being in a small group is part of our DNA. Not just at Hyde Park, but as Methodists. It is part of our heritage to be in a small group. Not just to make friends. Not just for socializing. Not just to keep from feeling lonely. Not out of obligation. Small groups at this church aren't just a program that we offer. It's not just a busy part of our weekly schedule. It's not just something that we do week in and week out. Theologically speaking, small groups are one of the greatest ways that you and I have to participate in the divine work of Jesus and building the kingdom of God in this world one relationship at a time. Now... I know that there are a number of you who are already part of a small group. And so you're ready to turn off my sermon and go on to something else. If you're in a small group, wonderful. That's great. I might encourage your small group to be open to adding new members. I would certainly encourage you to tell your story with people who aren't in a small group to encourage them. I'd even love to hear your story. If you want to drop me a message or... Send me a a voicemail or to Matt Hotho, our director of adult discipleship. We would love to know the impact that being in a small group has had in your life. But I know that there's lots of you who aren't in a small group. In fact, the analysis that Matt Hotho did showed that upwards of three-fourths of our worshiping congregation, in fact, probably 75% of the people who are sitting in this sanctuary this morning, are not part of a small group. 
So that's a good way of saying to you, if you're not in a small group, you're not alone. And chances are very good that your future small group members are sitting here in this room with you. I want you to know that there's nothing, there's no judgment cast upon any of us who aren't in a small group. But it does mean that you're missing out. Missing out on a chance to participate in God's divine work of transforming this world. Missing out on your chance to have your life transformed one relationship at a time. And I want you to know that we want to make it as easy as possible for you to try out being in a small group and taking that jump and being involved, maybe for the first time in your life. So on Wednesday night, September 7th, at 6.30 p.m. in the first floor of the Magnolia Building, Matt Hotho and his adult discipleship team are putting together their very first ever group connect night. It's basically a chance for anybody who's not currently part of a small group to find other people who might meet with them based on similarities in your weekly schedule. Could be that one of your great excuses for not being in a small group is that you're too busy, but you might have one hour a week, and maybe there's other people in this church who have that same time period in common with you. By the end of this one-hour event on September 7th, you will find a group of people with whom you can meet right away and start with a, a curriculum, a, a very basic program called Connect in which you can start to build relationships with people and get to know them. This event is for you, even if you're introverted, even if going to a meeting and meeting strange new people, strangers, not strange people, but strange <laughs> strangers. I think I've just ruined the pitch here for half of you. Even if an event like this scares you, this is as comfortable and as as comfortable as we can make it for introverted people. And even if you feel like your schedule is way too busy, you're going to find a lot of folks who are right in the boat with you but are willing to give it a shot. Sally Campbell Evans is our minister of congregational care, and she's preaching in the chapel in Magnolia today. And she put out a little email survey of folks that she knows in the congregation who are part of a small group and simply ask them the question, why are you in a small group? What do you get out of it? wish I had the time to share with you the dozens of responses that she got from people just like you who have gotten a lot out of a small group community here at the church. I just want to share one with you. This, the imagery in this response is so beautiful. If you happen to be the person who wrote this, thank you. I have no idea who this came from. This is what the person said. If attending church on Sundays is like sitting in someone's living room, being in a small group is like feeling at home in their kitchen, family room, or back porch. You settle in, you get comfortable, you kick your shoes off and let your guard down, and it's there that God can speak to your heart. It's there that you can learn to speak to Him, and it's there where you start to discover how to be the person God created you to be. You want to know what that person is describing? That person 
is describing what it means to be in community. That person's describing what it means to be in a Methodist class. That person is describing what it means to tap into our DNA as a small group people. But you know what? Most of all, that person is describing Genesis chapter 2. Because at those times when that person meets with their small group and chooses companionship over isolation, community over individualism, and chooses to meet together, that's the moment when God looks down on those people and says, that's good. Wouldn't you like to be the recipient of that phrase from God. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for teaching us to be in community with one another, for giving us the opportunity to be in connection, to be in relationship with people in this church. I pray for anyone who is not yet plugged into a small group community, may they feel the warmth and love that this place and these people can provide. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus who came in, did the work of the cross and the empty tomb, and utterly obliterated our separation from each other and from you. We thank you that the way that we can celebrate that transformation is by being connected to each other. We thank you for inviting us to participate in kingdom work so that we can hear your voice say to all of us, it's good. It's good indeed. In Jesus' name we pray.